exactly what we're talking about today. No longer slaves. Okay, so I'm going to read Romans chapter 6, and I want you to open your Bible. I don't have these verses to put up there right now, uh, but I want, you to, I want you to open your Bible. I want you to, to get there in Romans chapter 6. We're going to look in chapter 3 a little bit, okay? And this is powerful stuff, because if we're going to talk about real freedom, we've got to deal with the fact of our needing freedom, right? We've, amen? We've got to deal with the fact. Are we froze up this morning? Are we? Come on. Right, We've got to deal with the fact of bondage in our lives. And, and maybe even an ongoing struggle with bondage. Okay? So I'm going to read this. Are you going to read with me? All right? I'm reading through the English Standard Version. And, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7 to get our thoughts focused here. Because Paul tells us, he says, For if we have been united with him... I'm going to actually start in verse 5, it looks like. For if we have been united with him with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Listen to this. We know. Ah, there's another we know. Do I? Do we? We know that our old self, our old person, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died, been crucified with him, has been set free from sin. Lord, bless your word. Again, we ask and help us, Lord, to, to get and to understand and apply what you have for us here. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now, as we said last week, and I've said before, but especially last week, we were talking about a specific area, that of forgiveness and unforgiveness. But um, if we're not careful, there can be blind spots in our freedom, in our relationship with ourselves, with God, with others. There can be blind spots of bondage, areas of bondage, you know what, that we ignore. Areas of bondage that maybe we don't see, we don't want to see, that we rationalize, that we, I don't know, I'm just talking about me. I don't know, maybe you haven't ever had this problem, but I tend to not want to see. There are things I don't want to see. You can't make people see things that they don't want to see. Painful. Or, you know, maybe it's, uh, I can justify, I can rationalize. A lot of that goes on. But you know, Almighty God Paul is telling us, has gone to a whole lot of trouble to show his love for us and to pay for our freedom. We couldn't pay it ourselves. We couldn't get there. We couldn't earn it. We could never deserve it. So he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and it cost him a lot to pay for our freedom. And nothing is sadder than after all that for us to choose to remain in bondage or allow certain things, certain forces around us to keep us in bondage. That is very sad, thinking about the price that's been paid. Now, we brought this up before. The, the nation in which we live is somewhat of an example of this. Not entirely, but somewhat. It just kind of helps us connect and identify here. That, you know, we've talked about it before, when our, about freedom. When our nation was born... A war was fought, a tremendous price was paid with many lives so that we could be free to do what those people who did that, the founders, what they felt like were God-given rights. 
that there were God-given rights that people should have, that the Creator, right? Even in our Declaration of Independence, it talks about that, that we're endowed with certain inalienable rights by our Creator. So they recognize someone greater than us that we're accountable to, somebody greater than government. And, and that's, why, that's why our type of government works better for those who realize we're accountable to a higher power. It doesn't work well for atheism. In fact, what works better for atheism, and what usually happens, is either some type of uh, either super far right or super far left. You're, you're either talking about uh, Nazis or you're talking about communists where you have a dictator controlling people and you have that system. That seems to tend toward atheism. But when you have freedom and you have a republic like we have, it kind of goes with, and that's the way they understood it, uh, that, that there is a higher power that gave us these rights. And that's why it's not just about me, it's about you too. However, there's been a lot of blind spots there. That uh, they thought that, that God had given us the right to things like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But yet, even after fighting the battle and paying the prices, as we know, not everyone was free. And the thing about it is, if we're not all free, then this is not the land of the free. And it's amazing to me that even after, I mean, standing here today, looking back, that after we won the Revolutionary War, we gained independence from Mother England. That there were still so many people living inside this country who weren't included under that all people or all men were endowed by their creator with these rights. They, they, weren't, they weren't included in that. They were still enslaved and they were forced to serve others. And as we know, it actually took another war to begin to loosen that bond so that the line in the national anthem that talks about the land of the free could ring out a little bit more accurately for everyone, even though we still have a lot of things that need to happen. But it was actually at our 16th president's second inauguration, and it was only weeks before he, Lincoln, was assassinated, and less than that before the war ended, that he spoke of both parties not wanting the war, but yet it came. I quote, Lincoln said, quote, neither party expected for the war, neither the magnitude nor the duration which it has already attained. Each looked for an easier triumph. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invoked his aid against the other. Then he lets his own feelings be known and he says, How strange it is that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. End quote. Well, ultimately, with the adoption of the 13th... Are you following me here? Come on. With the adoption of the 13th Amendment uh, of the United States Constitution, slavery in America was legally abolished. And it was then that slaves all across America were officially, legally set free. But before that, long before that, even before Lincoln's second inaugural address, the president had stated his anti-slavery convictions in a proclamation. A proclamation that won him no favor in many places in the South. But I will say this, a proclamation that I'm, I'm glad that we're that the association of churches that we're a part of, the roots that it comes from, were those who were on the forefront of demanding that this be dealt with. 
that slavery end, that we don't have the right to treat other people that way. And I'm glad we have that heritage. Uh, not everybody does. But anyway, when Lincoln had made that great proclamation, you remember that? It was um, New Year's Day, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was publicly stated. But it wasn't until December 18th, 1865, that the Constitution, and it was voted on to make those convictions in that proclamation official. Well, when that happened, the news swept across the nation. Not as fast as it does now, but it did. Even in the South, even where there were slaves. But something strange took place. Even after a war had been fought and an amendment had been ratified, a great majority of the slaves in the South remained in bondage. They were legally freed, but they continued to live as slaves. Many of them were forced to live that way. They remained locked in an unholy caste system of racism. And a lot of slaves could repeat with equal validity what an Alabama slave said when a reporter from the North went and interviewed and asked this person, what do you think? about this 13th Amendment and the Emancipation Proclamation that President Lincoln has helped get through and has gone into effect. And here's what the slave said. said, well, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln except they say that he set us free. And I don't know nothing about that either. Sad, huh? That's sad. And that's the way the greedy plantation owners and some greedy politicians and people wanted it. It's tragic. Keep them ignorant. Keep people in fear. Keep people under bondage. War had been fought. A document signed. A lot of lives had been given. Yet most of them lived on in fear. And you know what? The consequences of their unwillingness to get this right, still flows down to the problems that we still have in our day. Some of the consequences are still some of the things that are coming down and affecting us today. All right? And as much as needs to be said about the sin, and I mean the sin of racism and racial bias, I want to shift gears and apply that to something even deeper. Yes, even deeper. Because I'm afraid as fellow believers in Jesus Christ, there could be parts of our hearts that are yet unconverted and are still in bondage. And we still are being held down to a slavery even though the price for freedom has been paid. And it's a shame. It's not what God wants. I mean, all we've spoken about that's happened in our nation and other places is bad. But one that is even worse, it has to do with Christians. Those who embrace the gospel, living on as slaves to sin. And that is wrong thinking and wrong actions. Even though our great emancipator, Jesus Christ, came from heaven to this earth and paid the ultimate price with his death on the cross to overthrow once for all our slavery to sin. We act like we don't know nothing about that so much. We act like we don't even know the emancipator, except we've heard about him. In fact, as strange as it is, sometimes 
And, and this was a problem in America, just the way they tried to set things up. It was easier for some people to just kind of keep living as slaves than, than to try to, to live a free life. Everything was kind of stacked against them. But guess what? Our emancipator has gone before us, and he gives us the strength, and he gives us the family of God and what we need to go on and live the free life. But for many people... They find it, listen, they think that is easier just to keep living in bondage than to step out and risk liberty. And I, that bondage could be bondage to habits and sin, or let me tell you, on the other side, it could be bondage to legalism and rules and codes. It's just safer having all these boundaries and all this stuff, and, and I can check my boxes every day that I did this and I did that and I didn't do that, and, I, and we, we feel safe in that. But it's still bondage. And, and, and here's the thing. In our situation, it's really not others that are enslaving us and forcing us to stay in bondage. We're doing it to ourselves. That's what makes it worse. And you know what? The slave master, the devil, he loves it. Absolutely loves it. Paul said, you remember? Paul said that, Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he wouldn't have said that if it wasn't happening. And in that case, it was legalism. It were people who were trying to bring people into slavery with all the rules and all the rigid things and just being religious and religiosity and all of that. The reason, I mean, it was for freedom. Freedom's the reason why he set us free. Now, if he set you free, he wants you to use that freedom for his glory and enjoy that freedom. But we don't seem to have a lot of joy. He redeemed us. He redeemed us. Did you get it? I love this verse, Romans 3, 24. We're going to go back to Romans 3 in a bit. But he says, we are justified by his grace as a gift. Because he just talked about right before that, wages of sin is death. I mean, no, excuse me. He talked about how that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In that verse, all have sinned, all sin. But we're, even though we've all sinned and we all fall short, we are justified. We're made right with God by his grace as a gift. On our part, we fall short. On his part, he paid for the gift, and he makes us right with him when we receive that gift. Hallelujah. And he makes us think about it a little bit when he says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption. You know what that means? That means he bought us back. When you talk about redemption, it means to buy back. In times when you use a coupon, you redeem them. That is, they buy them back and you get the discount, okay? Jesus came and he saw us in bondage and he paid the slave price for our freedom. He redeemed us. He himself paid that price because we couldn't pay it. That's a powerful verse. And then Jesus said, hey, when I do that, when I do that to set you free, to give you this as a gift, he tells us in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Oh, we may come back and have to visit that passage later on, but the thing about it is, he's saying, you know, if you're in this, in this system in a house, he's using the same type of illustration. If the Son, if the one who is heir to everything, if he comes in and sets you free, then you're really free. Somebody else says you're free, you may or may not be. But when the son, the one in charge, sets you free, you're really free. And that's what he's saying. And so we need to be free indeed, really free. Okay, so in talking about this, first of all, we need to back up and talk about the facts or the facts. Because to talk about freedom, we have to talk about bondage. And it's a real deal. 
It's a real, more real than what we want to talk about sometimes. And the fact of our bondage is, first of all, all of us are born in the bondage of sin. That may not be what the psychologist says or the philosopher says, but that's what the Bible says. We're born with a sinful nature. We're sinners by birth, by nature, and then ultimately by choice. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fall short. All of us have that sinful nature that we inherited from Adam. Paul talks about that. And we've all done it. We are all born enslaved to that sinful, selfish nature and to sin. You see it in the nursery. Hmm? Okay, I guess all you guys' kids and grandkids are little angels. <laughs> you just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I guess maybe. Listen to this. He tells us back in Romans 3, and you mark this. He, he's quoting from Psalms here, actually. He's quoting, oh, that's why he says it is written. So, so many times in the New Testament, he's quoting the Old Testament. He says it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. How many of us are able to be right with God and be holy on our own? Zero. None. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks after or seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, you know, I thought I'd done, you know. But what we call good, God doesn't call good. On our own, there is no good here. All have turned aside. That verse says that none of us even seek for God. That is, we are so corrupted by the fall of, into sin that on our own, we don't even seek him. That's why Jesus draws us. That's why he says if you lift it up, he'll draw. That's why the Holy Spirit, the gospel call goes out and he begins to draw us. But you are responsible. Are you going to respond to that or not? But on our own, we wouldn't even seek him if he wasn't seeking us first. Praise God. Amen. Yeah. Christ is the one who came to set us free because we didn't know nothing about freedom at all. All right, so all of us are born sinners. We're born in bondage. Secondly, Christ died to set us free from that bondage. See how simple this is? Sometimes we need to go back to the basics, right? They say the great uh, Vince Lombardi after a terrible game by his Packers you know, remember that, that whole, every coach, every teacher, every lecturer uses this where he brought these professionals out and he pulls out a football and he holds it up and he starts his talk to them and say, gentlemen, this is a football. I mean, evidently they played so bad. We got to go all the way back to the basics to, okay, this is a football. So sometimes we even do that in our relationship with God. We need, we get, we get so distracted by all these different details and all sometimes these frivolous things. We need to get back to the main thing. We need to get back to what it's all about. And this is it. Christ died to set us free back there in Romans chapter three. Um, he says, uh, if, you, if you look in, um, in verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. That is, every one of us under the law of God, every mouth is, every mouth is stopped. Can you imagine that? I mean, we stand before God guilty. There's no excuse. There's nothing we can say. What are you going to say when you stand before God if you don't have Christ as your Savior? There's not anything you can say. Every mouth will be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. Did you see that part of the verse? 
Look at it. That's verse 19. Verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. You can't be made right just by your own doing. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of God's law, to expose the fact that we fall short. Then in verse 21, he says, but now, hallelujah, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, or that means revealed, apart from the law. As it comes to the law, I've already blown it. Hmm? Can you say amen? Yeah. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the law and the prophets actually told about and bore witness to this righteousness that God had in mind all along. Verse 22, the righteousness of God. How can I get not just right, righteousness of God that I have not just made right with God, but I have his righteousness. How can I have it? He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Boom, that's it. It's by trusting in what Jesus did on your behalf. And he goes on to say, for all who believe, there's that where you put your faith in him. For there is no distinction. Did you get that? Now the Roman church was a church full of Jews and Gentiles and people of every hue of color and language and things like that. There is no distinction on this based on your color of your skin or your dialect or your language or your social status. There is no distinction. Equally available to all human beings. That's what he means by that. Why? Well, because we're all in the same boat. Uh-uh. There's this next verse, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the verse that I just showed you earlier. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That redemption. Remember his <laughs> terrible, horrible death. Agonizing death on the cross where he not only took our sin, he took the wrath of God against our sin. He took it all for us. So this right here is the doctrine of redemption, of righteousness, of justification. An eternal emancipation proclamation was signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were all sinners, but we can all be made right with God. We can be justified. Can I define that for you? Because somebody said justified, that means, in theological terms, just as if you never sinned. Yeah, but to me it's got more meaning even than that. Justification literally is this, the sovereign act of God, whereby he declares righteous the believing sinner who is still a sinner. While still even in a sinning state, because it's not that you've got to become perfect to get this. He begins to perfect you after you receive it. And we'll talk about that just for a moment. But he says to all of us, you don't have to, because of this, you don't have to live under the old, you don't have to. You don't have to live under the old master any longer. You're free now to serve Christ. You're free now to become his servant. Before Christ, you may have thought you were doing your own thing. Well, I'm not telling anybody, tell me what to do. I'm just free. But you, 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 were, you were lied to. The devil lied to you. I'm going to do my own thing. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. God's not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me what to do. But at the same time, what you didn't realize, you were enslaved. Enslaved to your own selfishness. Enslaved to lust. Enslaved to greed. Enslaved to pride. Enslaved to all these kinds of things. And the devil was laughing his head off because you thought you were doing your own thing and free, but you were actually his slave. You were in bondage. Oh. You don't have to live as a victim 
to your selfishness, your greed, your lust, your pride. You don't have to live as a victim to sin any longer. We have the power available to us to enjoy our freedom and to live in Christ. So Christ died to set us free. And then here is the other thing that is obvious now. Even though all this is true, many Christians still live as though enslaved. And that's why Romans 6 is here. A lot of Christians could say, to borrow the Alabama slaves' words, I don't know nothing about grace, except they say it set us free, and I really don't know nothing about that either. Because the enemy keeps us in bondage. See, it comes out all the time. I've done it. You probably have too. Like, hey, I just can't help myself. It's a good admission, right? Because I need to submit to his help. Amen? Or how about this? I say, well, hey, I'm only human. Sometimes I use that as a rationalization of not accepting victory and deliverance that comes from him. Um, Or when we rationalize, when we excuse our lying, we excuse our cheating, our adultery, we excuse our pride, we excuse all of these things, and we just say, well, hey, nobody's perfect. When I say that, I'm actually saying I'm still enslaved. That's what I'm saying. Where's the victory? Why, why was Christ raised from the dead? It wasn't just to get us into heaven. It was to bring us up to a new, a new level of life. <laughs> I mean, and to free us from the bondage. Look, look back at this chapter here where we are in Romans chapter 6. Um, uh, he starts talking about baptism because he, he asks a question. But then he says uh, that... Uh, That how can we who died to sin live any longer in it? How can we be dominated by it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? This is what baptism is. It is a picture of what happens when you get saved. You by faith are entering into the scene of his death where he paid the price for your sins. When you, and that's why we baptize by immersion. Is that as you go under the water, it's a picture of you identifying by faith with Jesus' death and burial. He died to pay for my sins, but he didn't stay down, did he? He rose again. And when we come back up out of the water, it is, a, it is an illustration of new life and resurrection life that we already have with Jesus Christ. He says this. He says, if we were baptized, we're into his death. In verse 4, he says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so he wants me to live a new life. Just like I died to sin because I'm identifying with Jesus' death on the cross. That's why he says later on, I am crucified with him. That's what, in faith, I'm trusting his crucifixion. He paid for my sins, so in a sense, I'm crucified with him. And that's what my baptism represents represents that's what it shows that's what it testifies but just as i not only did i die to self and die to sin but i rose again to have new life resurrection life just like jesus did to be a new person that's what he wants to make available for all of us and that's why this chapter is here it's what he's talking about some of us have this neat little box we want to put god in um we have a a box we want to put our salvation in too did you know that um, not only our concepts of God, you know, his holiness and, and our concept of his grace becomes very shallow, but the concepts of what justification and sanctification and what that really means, it becomes very small. I mean, we may have our list of our dirty dozen or our nasty nine sins, you know what I'm saying? The dirty dozen, the nasty nine, I mean, boy, these are sins that, whoo, boy, if you do this, he's going to dangle you over the pit. 
And since you don't do any of those dirty dozen or nasty nine, you think everything's okay with me. I'm doing pretty good myself. And But like the Pharisees, we tend to judge things a little differently than what God judges it. There's a lot of things on God's list that isn't on our list. Right? Yeah. We want to focus on just certain things. Because there's two realms. There's two realms that I want us to think about here when it comes to when it comes to our righteousness even. First of all, there's the positional and then there's the practical. Are you with me with this? Let's get, can we dig a little deeper for just a second here? Okay, so first of all, the position. Your position, once you have received Christ, once you have put your faith in him, you are now one of Paul's favorite terms. You are in Christ. That is your position. You are in him. You've identified with his death and his resurrection. He's paid for your sins. You've received that justification because he paid for it. He redeemed you. You are in Christ. That's your position. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ. That's your position. By his grace, you are cleansed from your sin. It, you know, if not, there's no way you could go to heaven because God's perfect and holy. And one little slip up uh, uh, is, is, is if, if, you know, listen, if that's all you think is just, okay, if I just make one little slip up, then, then I've got to, I, 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 he's, he's cast me away, then, then you'll never get there. You'll never get there. I mean, you're never going to, you hear preachers say, you know, die with unconfessed sin in your life. Good luck not. Because when they were saying that, they were thinking about a nasty nine or a dirty dozen. What about gossip? What about bearing false witness? What about coveting? I mean, according to the Bible, if you don't live and even think, because Jesus said it's not just the act, it's the thought behind the act, that if you even look at a woman desiring to commit adultery with her, you're already like an adulterer in your heart. If you hate some, somebody so bad you wish they were dead, you're already like a murderer in your heart. You remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? Because you had these Pharisees that thought they were crossing off everything, like I'm keeping all this, but he says you're really not. And even those were the guys that said, well, we don't commit adultery. But he said, you're putting your wives away. You get tired of this one. And, you, you know, you don't cheat on her, you think. But you give her, and then their culture, they could do a certificate of divorce. And the woman had no rights. She couldn't contest it. She couldn't, back, she was just put away. And then he would take another one. And that's why he says that God's not recognizing all these marriages y'all are doing. Because what you're doing is you guys, you Pharisees are going from woman to woman. But you're using what you think is a loophole of the law to do it. You're adulterers. Boy, they didn't, you know what? That made them want to kill Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Oh, oh, by the way, by the way, so my salvation doesn't depend on my memory just before I go to sleep. If I can remember every sin that I might have committed and, 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 and confess it, because I guarantee you there's, but my, my salvation is more dependent on what Jesus did on the cross than it is my memory, especially at this stage of life. And then let's say I went through a day and I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do any no-no's. I've still got... James chapter 4, what is it, verse 17 to deal with, where he says, to him that knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. So then i got to think about anything that I should have done that I didn't do, not just about all the things that I did do that i got to confess, but then whatever I didn't do that I could have done, and then that's sin, and I'm never going to get there. So unless you think and act as perfectly as Jesus, as perfectly as God, you need what Jesus did on the cross. 
And you need to thank God for your position. That you are in Christ. You are walking by faith. Even though you aren't perfect and you're stumbling and you're growing. You're covered by his grace. The question becomes, will you continue to walk by faith or not? And there are a couple of times in the New Testament where it brings up this issue of rejecting Christ to go trust something else for your salvation. In Hebrews, those that were raised Jewish were under persecution. And some of them were almost who had embraced Christ were coming to the point that they were about to reject Christ and go back to legalism and go back to the law. And, and, they're try, and, and, and the writer's trying to say, that's just like whatever, that's like crucifying Christ afresh. He said, it's just like that crowd that on, on, on Palm Sunday were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a few days later, they were saying, away with him, crucify him. That's what you're doing you're saying he's the king and then now you're saying away with him it's just the same thing so you know it's up to you whether you want to continue to walk by faith and you want to trust in him but it's up to him to keep you justified and righteous it's what he did all right and so that's your position but then there's the practical part then the practical realm my practice how i live we're continually in my practice. I got to tell you something. And I don't think anybody here is going to be shocked. In my daily practice, I have to admit that I am not as perfect as Jesus. <sighs> is it possible? Yeah, I believe so. I got growing to do. I'll never forget one old guy said that I believe I can go weeks without ever committing one sin. I'm like, hallelujah. But I kid you not, his wife was rolling her eyes behind him at that moment. Uh, okay. If you think you're perfect, talk to your teenagers if you've got them. <laughs> okay. I, the practice. Here's the thing. By the practice means that now that I'm saved, see, there's justification. Now here's sanctification, that I am continually growing and being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, that's an ongoing process, folks, that lasts until you die called sanctification. And I've had some good friends that felt like they had all right. Now, I know there are moments in our life where he bumps us up a bunch of notches, where there's something that happens in our life and we understand truth and we apply truth. We have an experience with God that takes us from here to here. But don't think that you're like one guy said, he says that I am now there and I can live above sin. I'm like, all the time? Oh, well, good for you. I'm gonna have to watch this person. And I saw him at the ball game on Tuesday night. Not this Tuesday night. It was a different Tuesday night. I still think he's got a ways to go to be like Jesus. Okay? I did too that night. I kept wanting to help not only the players and the coaches, but even the officials. You know what I'm saying? I just felt like I needed to help. I needed to shout advice, you know. Things like that. Anyway, uh, the thing about it is this, is, this is the difference between position and practice. Position, you're in Christ. You have been justified. You've been made perfect. Practically, though, in your practice, you're growing to be conformed to the image of Christ. In your mind, your will, your emotions, and your actions. And we're continually growing. This is what. Now, there's two questions that come out here. See, and by the way, your old master doesn't want you to understand this. He wants you to continue to live in fear of his lies, in fear of his whip. He's not your master. You're free. You tell him. All right? Tell the enemy that. So two questions come out in Romans chapter 6. The first one's in verse 1 and the second one's in verse 15. So look at it really quick before we wrap this up. 
It starts off because he's talking about how we're saved by grace. Because you're saying, well, if what you're saying about our position is true, people could abuse God's grace. Yeah? You guys stay with me now. Because Paul anticipates that. So the question in verse 1, what shall we say then? Since the more we sin, the more he just abounds in his grace. The more we sin, the more he forgives us. So the question, he says, I'm anticipating the question here. What are you going to say? What are you guys saying? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we just keep sinning so he can just keep loving us and forgiving us? The old King James, it says, God forbid. Actually, the words in the original Greek language is, is, is it's, it's may it never be, but it's, it's in such an emphatic way. It's no and, and, and however strong you could say no. So, that's when he goes into this whole thing. By no means, he says, how can we who died to sin live any longer? I mean, you've been crucified with Christ. You've been resurrected with him. That's not the way, that's not where your life is. And um, these two questions, and then in verse 15, he says, what then, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Same answer, by no means, God forbid. These aren't the same question, by the way. There are two, there are two themes in this chapter, and they're introduced by, if you're really studying this chapter, which I, and I suggest you go home and do, you're going to find that there's two themes, and they're each introduced by these questions. The first question in verse 1 addresses those who fail to claim their freedom, and you stay under bondage. Watch this. The second one in verse 15 deals with sinning in a state of liberty and it addresses those who try to take their freedom too far and end back up in bondage. Right? So there's some that fail to claim their freedom and there's some that try to take their freedom so far that they go back into bondage, they abuse grace, that he doesn't give you a license to sin. He, he died to break the power of sin in your life. Not just so you can say it's no big deal if I sin. It is a big deal when you realize what it cost him to redeem you. And so now I want to please him. Now I want to serve him. Now I've been freed so that I don't have to be bound by this. I can be bound to Jesus. And I can grow. And I can change. And when I stumble, I can get back up. And keep growing. And learning. See, we've been programmed to just fail and ask forgiveness and fail and ask forgiveness. And even while we're saying, Lord, forgive me, and maybe y'all just say, Lord, forgive me for that sin once again and, and, and for tomorrow when I'm probably going to be right there again. We just, we just, but, but how about like, Lord, uh, you know, there were some things in my life that I, I finally, you know, I, I, w- I have to say I was kind of stuck in that kind of thing until I finally was broken enough to say, Lord, I can't do this. And I'm finally willing to give it to you and let you do in my life. Now, I've got to discipline myself. I've got to resist self. I've got to submit to you so that you can do what I can't do. Remember, we've got to, if we want the supernatural in our life, we've got to do the natural. He supplies the super. Okay. <clears throat> okay, we're creatures of habit. And, and out of fear, insecurity, ignorance, we, we sometimes, we prefer slavery to the risk of liberty. Now, I just want to wrap it up with these thoughts right here. All right, so we don't have time to digest it thoroughly, but just whet your appetite maybe. So when we go through chapter 6, this is chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. He says we must know something. We must know something. 
to, to understand this passage, you've got to, and when he talks about baptism, and he says we know these things, uh, he talks about, and it's not just talking about physically what happens with your baptism in the water, but it's talking about spiritually what it represents, okay? Uh, he's, he, he, he's talking about our identifying with Christ, what baptism symbolizes, that we must know that we have been identified with his death and we're identified with the power of his resurrection. That's what those verses are all about. So that he says in verse six, we no longer, that we no longer have to be enslaved to sin for if we've been identified with him by faith in his death and resurrection, we who've died with him, we've been set free. And then he says we must not only know something, we must consider something. In um, verse 11, he says, so you must also consider, I like the old word in the old King James, I think it says reckon. And I remember there's some of you California transplants, Gloria, they used to come in here and used to make fun of me all the time for saying that. And I'd have to get my old King James out and say, it's a Bible word, reckon. Well, I reckon, because I was, you know, we, we say that. Well, you, you think we'll get done into, I reckon, maybe not. I don't know, but uh, I reckon. But, but it's an accounting term too. But also here, um, here's what he's saying, yield yourself. That we, we, yield, your, we yield ourselves, we present, uh, we, we consider, we, we do some calculations. To reckon means to calculate in verse 11 and 12. He says to take into account, to figure, to consider, reckon it true, consider it true. Consider this. He says, that you must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So do not yield or present. This is the next thing, all right? Are you ready for it? We've got to present or yield something. Do not, he says, present or yield to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but yield or present yourselves to God. So instead of yielding myself and presenting myself just to do whatever my sinful nature or the devil or anyone else tells me, I need to yield or present myself to God to be a servant of righteousness. So the question still comes back down to you and me. Am I yielding to that old bondage or am I yielding my will to him to live in his freedom? You choose whether you're going to live free. See, under the law, every one of those thou shalt nots mocked me because I was guilty of most of them. Really? And then James says, if you've broken one, you're as guilty as if you broke every one. But now I'm under his grace. Now Christ comes inside. Now I yield myself to him. Instead of me being an instrument of death. See, all those deeds, all those things just result in death. Now I can have life. And more abundant life. Now I yield myself to him for him to do things that glorify God and bring life and bring blessing. I'd rather be a servant of his than in bondage to sin. So let's take it home, folks. Get this down. Christ died to set you free. He paid the ransom price. Satan's a liar. Amen? Like the father of lies. Do not allow his lies to enslave you. And I could preach a whole nother sermon and sometime we may about all the lies that we believe about ourselves. We believe lies about others. We believe lies about God. We believe lies about salvation. We believe lies about the Christian life. And some of it came from where it wasn't supposed to come from. Maybe even come from church. 
because we just don't rightly divide this sometimes or rightly understand it or apply it. Satan's a liar. Do not let his lies. That's why we need the truth. That's why Jesus said the truth will do what? Set you free. Satan's lies are designed to enslave while making you think you're free. And please realize this. You are no longer a slave. Your bondage is broken. The price has been paid. Positionally, you're in Christ. Why aren't you claiming that freedom? Why aren't you claiming that power in your practice? Because it's available. Let's not give up. Let's not live as slaves. Our great emancipator is at the right hand of the Father, and he's soon coming back. He's got a lot more in mind for us than what we have in mind for ourselves, I'll guarantee you. Pray with me. Father.